looking this morning at Devoted to Signs and Wonders. We're looking at a little concentrated bit of scripture, uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47, as you can see there. We'll look at that in a moment. A bit of concentrated summary of the early church, uh, how they started off, uh, what, were, what they were devoted to. And, uh, you know, it's going to be important to unpack that later, but one of the th- words that we're looking at is the word sign, and signs are finger posts that point to God. And they're all through the Bible. There they're, they're are different things. But actually, baptism, as has already been said, is one of those. It's a signpost that points to God. It, it's, it's a funny little thing. As Steve said, it's, it's an odd little ritual, you could argue. But it's got a profound message. It's saying a Christian is not someone who just believes in God or just... Uh, has a change of mind. There's someone who commit their lives to Jesus, just like these five people did this morning we listened to, who, said that, who say that my life is now wrapped up in Jesus. I've died to the past. My past is cleaned, washed clean. I've come alive to follow him. And it's a very profound little sign of what it is to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, think on what you've already heard and seen in the baptism because it illustrates what it's about. It is uh, an important step in your life. It's, it's something where you put faith in, here, in Jesus, and then from then on, you are a new creation. God's Spirit is in you. You will begin to change. Your life will be on, take a different path to prior to that. It's a very important moment that's been reflected in this baptism. And as I say, it points to God. But we're actually going to look at signs and wonders as uh, uh, mentioned in this little passage in Acts 2. So I'd like to read Acts 2, 42 to 47, which is where we've been for the last few weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now this phrase, signs and wonders, is used a lot in the New Testament. And quite simply, when the church first started there were clearly a lot of miracles that happened, a lot of healings, a lot of in, uh, sort of supernatural interventions in people's lives, breakthroughs. People were healed from illnesses. People were delivered from demons. There were some miraculous uh, events such as being set free from prison or food or something like that, multiplying, or in one case, someone bitten by a poisonous snake who survived it. And all these things were seen as amazing signs and wonders that pointed to God. Actually, there were uh, several purposes to these things. We'll unpack that as we go through. They were also for the benefit of individuals, but there was undoubtedly a deeper, profounder purpose. God was saying, I'm here, I'm active in your world, 
And he was actually saying what sort of God he is, that he's a God who has a heart for people, who cares about our difficulties and our troubles, who cares about the, the bondage and the pain and the suffering that has come through sin and, and through the devil's work in our lives, that he's actually a good God and a God of redemption and a God of salvation. In Jesus' life, that had also been true. If we can uh, see if I can work this thing. If I can't, you're going to have to do it for me. You have to do it for me. Where? Up there. Oh, I haven't switched it on. It's very dangerous to get me involved in these techie things. There you go. I've done it. I've done it because I switched it on, Clive. Oh, the power's failed on the projector. So the power's all right on my little clicker, but it's failed on the project. Fine, I shall read you the scriptures. That's no problem. Always used to do that over the last 40, 50 years of preaching. It's only the last 10 I've got into all this technology. Well, I haven't exactly got into it. I've just demonstrated that. Okay, let's stick with what I was going to do. I wanted to read you, and I will read you, a verse from Acts 10, verse 38 about Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So in Jesus' life, when Jesus went around healing and delivering people, he was demonstrating something of God's heart, something of God's desire to bring redemption and freedom and wholeness to men and women. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that brings hope to the hopeless. It's a kingdom that has dimensions of deliverance from Satan's bondage and of healing and of provision. And actually, the Bible is pretty clear. The New Testament, that verse reflects it, that things that destroy and distort and spoil our lives have a demonic sin origin. In heaven, in the age to come, there is no sickness or dying. Prior to the fall, in the book of Genesis, before the fall, there wasn't any of that sort of thing. You can get into the details theologically and tussle around with it, but basically God is a God who brings healing and redemption. Before the fall, you don't find sickness and demonic bondage. In the new heavens and new earth, you won't find it there. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for God's kingdom to come. And God's kingdom, as Jesus clearly demonstrated, is a kingdom that, to quote it again, does good and heals all who are under the power of the devil. And that is a message that continued after Jesus went back to heaven. And the, the apostles that Jesus had sent out continued to perform signs and wonders and healings that drew attention to the kingdom of God, that made, uh, gave a message that there is a God. He's a good God. He's a God interested in our lives. He's a God involved in our lives. And he's a God who is bringing deliverance and wholeness to men and women. But the big question for us this morning is, and this is the important one I want to spend the time thinking about, has all that stopped now? Obviously, Jesus went around doing these things. We've just read what was clearly said in in Acts 2, verse uh, 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Has that stopped now, or can we expect it in the church today? Now, the words in that verse I read to you, verse 43, do say, many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. 
And really, that's where many people park this subject of miracles, healings, signs, wonders, deliverance from demons. They park it there around that word. And they say, well, to be honest, these were things that the apostles did, the first 12, the foundational apostles. They were ways in which God authenticated their ministry, authenticated who they were as the foundation stones of the church. It was a time when God was helping them establish the church and the gospel. Now that view, which is, has been historically quite common, is often called cessationism. That means signs, wonders, and miracles ceased when the era of the apostles finished. It came with the apostles, and then as they died out, that died out. That's called cessationism. I am not a cessationist. I am a continuationist. If you like titles, there's another one. I believe the gifts of the Spirit, including the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, including healings and miracles and deliverance from demons, I believe these have continued, hence continuationist, and will continue through the whole church age. And they are to be sought after and prayed for in our day and generation as well. Now, I was brought up in a church that was cessationist, quite strongly so, and would argue that if you saw these things today, they'd either be uh, just fake aspects of the flesh or they would be demonic. So you were left with two rather unattractive options. And so uh, I had to work my way through that. I'm not going to bore you with the details, though it's probably interesting to one or two of you. But I had to work my way out of that position because I really do not believe in it now. I really am a continuationist. And probably two things... Simple big things have influenced me. One is scripture, most importantly, and the other is experience. Let's talk a little bit about scripture. The first fact in the Bible, in the New Testament, is that it was not only the apostles that performed these signs and wonders. For example, in Acts 6 verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is not one of the apostles, not one of the twelve. Then later in Acts 8, Philip. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon, who was actually a sorcerer, he really was a dealer in the occult, he was so impressed that he himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Philip was seeing amazing things happening, so amazing that this guy, Simon the sorcerer, was more than impressed. Then later in Acts 14, we get Paul preaching. And it's one of those incidental moments that just you need to pause and think about. Here it is. In Lystra, the sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, there's two or three points there, incidental. One is, Paul is not part of the original 12. He's not one of the apostles, as mentioned in Acts 2. So there's another new character seeing signs, wonders, and healings. But the other interesting thing is, Why did the guy look expecting something? 
And Paul saw he had faith. I presume it must be because healing had been part of Paul's preaching. Signs and wonders were part of the gospel. There was an expectation that stuff like this would happen. Otherwise, I don't see why this lame man, crippled since birth, would have had any expectation as this uh, guy was just preaching on the street corner. He obviously had got an expectation. There was a growing knowledge that when the gospel was preached, when these people did their business, not just the apostles, but Philip and Stephen and Paul and anybody out there, stuff happened. People got healed. People got delivered. Important things happened. Then as the church got established, it didn't stop. So you will find, for example, in Galatians, Paul again, just writing, almost incidentally, he says this, Galatians 3.5, So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So he's actually almost a throwaway remark. He's talking to the church at Galatia and says, you know, you've seen miracles, you've seen things happening. You know that's not by the law, which is his main subject. That's by the power of the Spirit. But it clearly was what was happening there. And then when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, you get the gifts of the Spirit given to the church, given to the local church, and they include this. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. So it is clear that signs and wonders and healings are a lot wider spread in the New Testament than just the apostles and only that first phase. There's also a factual clear thread in the New Testament that signs, wonders and miracles do not really mostly authenticate a person. They authenticate a message. They authenticate the gospel of the kingdom. They authenticate the message rather than the messenger. Now, Jesus was unique, the unique son of God, and clearly many of his uh, miracles were signs of who he was. And yet Jesus himself moved that agenda from himself to the message quite quickly, and he sent out first of all 12 and then 70 who performed signs and wonders, who saw people healed, who saw people delivered from demons as they preached the gospel of the kingdom. Now, if it was only about Jesus being the Son of God, the 70 probably would have caused confusion to people. Clearly, Jesus was focusing on the message, not merely on himself. And that goes on through the New Testament. Indeed, Jesus says, as he commissions the church, these words, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons, speak in new tongues. He talks about miracles of protection. And he says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus nails the subject around the message and the people of God who he commissions. It's not about authenticating, not primarily, individuals. It's about the message of the kingdom. Actually, if you read through your New Testament carefully, you will feel that you'll find that these signs and miracles and wonders have a number of purposes. One is definitely to authenticate the message of the kingdom, but another one is simply to glorify God. It glorifies God when people get healed. It glorifies God when he turns up and does amazing things in our lives. When demons are kicked out, it glorifies God. And also, it is an expression of God's heart, as we've already seen, that God cares. God is a God of compassion. He's a God of redemption and healing and wholeness. 
Actually, it is a fact that no Bible author even hints at a concept that these things will cease before Jesus comes back. You can find scriptures, and one of them is 1 Corinthians 13, which pretty clearly say that these sorts of miracles and signs and wonders and breakthroughs are going to carry on until Jesus returns and that which is perfect comes, which hasn't happened yet. It's a new heavens and new earth. There's no way the Bible suggests that God's going to write a book and that's going to make there be no need for these signs and wonders, which is what some secessionists teach. Once you've got the Bible, you don't need these miracles and signs and wonders. There is no hint in the Bible that that's what happens. This is a brief thing. There'll come a book soon and then you can forget it. There's nothing near that. Just to give a little extra weight as I finish on this aspect, two, uh, I love reading D.A. Carson. I've mentioned it before. He's an evangelical reformed theologian. He writes this. The coming of the Spirit, talking about Pentecost, is not associated merely with the dawning of the new age, but with its presence. So the imminent, imminent, tangible manifestation of the Holy Spirit, he is saying, is not about merely the dawning of the church age, but about the presence of the new age, the new covenant. Not merely with Pentecost, but with the entire period from Pentecost to the return of Jesus the Messiah. Sam Storms, another Reformed theologian, says, signs and wonders are not merely to inaugurate the new covenant, they characterize it. Just hear that. Signs and wonders are not merely to inaugurate it, they characterize it. These are meant to go on. He says a bit more, Sam Storms. Hope you can get this. It would have been on the screen. There is simply no convincing biblical, theological, historical, or experiential argument that in either, either in isolation or conjunction with other arguments gives us any reason to believe Listen to this. Gives us, there's no, no convincing argument that gives us any reason to believe that what God did in the first century, he will not do in the 21st century. Now, you may say, what are you going on about? I want you to get this right now if this is the only thing you get. God is still the same God. The name of Jesus is as powerful as ever. There are still real things called demons in the world. There are still sicknesses and diseases. There are still insurmountable problems that need breakthrough. And the God of the New Testament, the God of signs, wonders, miracles, healings, is still in the business of doing that. As Sam Storm says, that there is no reason to believe that what God did in the first century, he will not do in the 21st century. Do you believe that? I honestly believe it. I am a continuationist. I don't think anything has changed in any theological heavenward angle. Things might change on the ground. We'll talk about why we battle with it. But God is still on his throne, and the name of Jesus is as powerful as ever. So signs, wonders, healings, deliverances are part of the deal now as they ever were. Briefly, and it will be brief, to talk about experience. Not only did I get convinced by Scripture, but I saw again and again people who were continuationists, to use that phrase, who believed these things were for today, were seeing them and were seeing breakthroughs in their gospel preaching. That they were seeing people healed. They were seeing miracles. They were seeing people delivered from demons, even in modern Britain. 
Now, my own experience eventually caught up with that. I was baptized in the Spirit many years ago, in 1971, and I began to see things that I would never have dreamt of. I began to see occasional healings. I have been involved, not that I like it at all, in seeing people delivered from demonic things. I began to experience my own tongues, prophecy, miraculous gifts, if you like to call them that, and also seeing God do amazing things just in the life of the church. Moments of provision, moments of protection, moments of extraordinary coincidence when God miraculously changed things. And I do firmly believe that God is still at work miraculously in our day. And like the early church, it's part of normal church life to see healings, deliverances, signs, and wonders. Not every day, because even in the book of Acts, there were exceptional things where shadow of Peter fell on people and they were healed, or where, where a handkerchief taken from Paul brought healing. And those things are mentioned here because they're extraordinary. They weren't every handkerchief that Paul ever used brought healing, and uh, you know, all that sort of thing. They, they, they were clearly exceptional moments, but there was an expectation that God would do stuff like this all the time. Okay? I'm now moving to my last phase of what I want to say. Because what I want to say now is, okay, John, you might be saying, I'm even pretty much with you that theologically there's not a problem, but we don't see that much, do we? So what's going on? And I want to talk about that for my last phase. Now, let me say, you know, what is going on in our day? First of all, let me say that in many parts of the world, there are an awful lot of signs and wonders and healings going on. If you have any knowledge of church at all, and you've got a bit of understanding of what's going on in our modern world, you'll know that there are many, many countries where there are some extraordinary stuff. There are extraordinary things going on. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's in the Far East or in China or in South America or Africa or in various places, there will be no problem with convincing people that healings and miracles and deliverances from demons are part of the ordinary deal be all over the place. But secondly, for our encouragement, even here in the UK, there is quite a lot going on. And there's actually a lot more going on than there probably was even 30, 40 years ago. We do expect to see more healing than we once did, and we do see a bit more. There are more things kicking off in all sorts of ways. Just one example would be our friends at King's, King's Arms in Bedford. Wendy and her team here only a few weeks ago. They are pushing through and pushing some barriers back. And they're seeing, they're just one example of people who'd be close to us who are seeing more and more signs and wonders associated with their gospel preaching and associated with their normal church life. So God's on the move right across the church, including in this country. But we do have some real fundamental battles here now in our time, not just in Winchester, but particularly in the UK. And the most fundamental one is our Western worldview. The most fundamental one is the way we're all brought up and educated, which is highly rationalistic, highly materialistic in the sense of not just money, but everything's material, only what you can see, only what you can test, otherwise you can't validly uh, believe in it. No, essentially, our culture would broadly say there's no God, no supernatural. You can only go by what you can test and measure with the senses or scientifically, and that's the only thing you can rate uh, as important or serious. Now, we swim in that culture. We live in that culture. We have been all educated in that culture. 
And of course, it is a wrong view. Worldwide, it wouldn't be the norm for everybody, but there's a lot more to life than just what you can see and measure. There's a lot more. The whole of God's world is an unseen world by and large. There's God himself who is spirit. And there's demonic spirits. There's a whole lot more to life than just that. But we do have to live with that battle. Now, we also live in a time, I believe, of restoring things to church. And I'm going to just take a moment to say what is a deep conviction of mine that I have lived with for, for nearly 40 years. But I do think it's a very personal view, so bear that in mind. The churches we are part of, this sort of church, was once upon a time called a restoration church. It's an old term now, it's not used much. But the reason it was used was because we believe God was restoring things to the church that had been lost. Things that you will find in the first phase of church life, in the New Testament, but had fallen into disuse and were being restored. Now, actually, if you really followed that, and I did follow it, and I still do, as a broad explanation of things, certainly in my part of the world, in this country, I would say that we are building on other periods of restoration that have gone on ahead of us. That there are many things that have been already restored that we take for granted. Many things. We'll talk about a few in a moment. But that actually the purpose behind it is that God is building his church up for the final, final phase, and it could be centuries, so don't think I'm saying it's tomorrow, but the final phase of church history. We live at a very interesting time. The world has fully been discovered. We know where all Adam's and Eve's fallen children are. Every tribe, nation, and tongue could be touched and are being touched by the gospel. Jesus said of the end, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. That is more true in our day than in any other previous generation. We know that the gospel of the kingdom could be preached to the whole world in a generation. Actually, the global village thing, the communications, the, 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 the world travel revolution, all of that makes that even more possible. But it is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached to the whole world. And the gospel of the kingdom is a little more than just come to Jesus and, and put your hand up and, and, and sign a piece of paper. It's, it's about the words, the works, and the wonders that Jesus did. The gospel of the kingdom is the full deal. It's bringing change to culture by preaching the good news of Jesus and all that it means. It's acting out the kingdom. It's seeing wonders. It's seeing miracles and breakthroughs. So there's a quality to it as well as a quantity. Okay, we can reach the whole world. What are we reaching the whole world with? Then I believe that Jesus will soon come back for his church. I do not believe he is coming back for a bride who is the equivalent to an elderly, decrepit lady. Please, I'm in dangerous territory here. I'm old, I'm bald. Bear with me, okay? In other words, Jesus is not coming back for a bride who is like an elderly lady on her last legs. Jesus is coming back for a battling bride, as virile, as fruitful as she ever was, actually mature. The qualities that were there when he left this young church in the early centuries will still be there, but she will be a mature bride representing every tribe and nation and tongue. There is no sense in which the church will be a decrepit, failing old thing that Jesus just snatches us out before we finally croak our last. The bride will be all she's ever been. 
I have absolutely deep conviction that the sort of gospel that was preached in the New Testament must be being preached when Jesus comes back. The sort of experience that was experienced in the New Testament must be being experienced when Jesus came back. The book of Acts is 30 years. It's 30 years, the first 30 years of church history. It's like God gives us the first scene and says, carry on like that all the way through. Every 30 years of church history ought to have the qualities that are in the book of Acts. Every generation, in biblical terms, 30 years might be roughly a generation. Every generation should see that sort of thing. 120 people at the beginning, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel. 30 years later, there are churches all around the eastern Mediterranean. There are churches of thousands. There are all sorts of people healed and delivered. There's been a lot of persecution and deaths as well. But it's been battle all the way. It's been amazing conflict, clash of kingdoms, the kingdom of light and love clashing with the kingdom of darkness. That is how the church should be in every generation, including our generation. That's how it's meant to carry on until Jesus comes back. And part of that is healing and deliverance and signs and wonders. Now, God's been getting us back on track, and he's taken a while over it. But if we look back quickly over history, and we haven't time to do it in any detail at all, there have been periods when something that was lost has been restored. I'll give you one. There was a period when you in this country could not remotely have read or heard the Bible in your own language. It would all have been in Latin. And if you were an ordinary working person, you wouldn't have had a clue what they were on about. And men died to give you the Bible in English. People like Tyndale and Wycliffe laid down their lives to give you the Bible in English. Now you say, was that restoring? You bet it was restoring. When the New Testament was written, it was written in the ordinary language of normal people. It was written in Aramaic Greek. It wasn't even written in posh Greek. It wasn't written in intellectual Greek. Most of it wasn't. Ordinary people read it. Ordinary people had it read to them. Paul's letters were written for ordinary people, slaves often, to listen to and understand. That got lost. And people died and spent 100 years getting us back the Bible in English. Nobody thinks that's a big deal today. Nobody fusses about that. I could give you whole lists of things. I can't for time. But it took a period to restore justification by faith. Simple belief in the true work of the cross, what we call the Reformation. It took a whole period to restore evangelistic preaching in our country. Wesley and Whitfield, that you could actually go out in the open air and preach the gospel. That it wasn't absolute blasphemy to go outside a church building. Do you know, Wesley struggled enormously at first. Could he even do it? Was it almost biblical? Was it of God to go outside and preach? He really did battle until he finally felt confident to do it. World mission. When Carey and people started saying, well, this gospel's for the nations. It's for people in India. People thought they were mad. It took a battle to restore it. But if you read the early church, read what Jesus said. Go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's pretty obvious what we're supposed to do. How come? Because there's a battle. Satan had shut it down. And it took sometimes a century or more for the church to get that this was part of what they did. Most of us wouldn't fight about world mission today. We wouldn't fight about having the Bible in English. We wouldn't really worry about preaching the open air because those things have been restored. But in the last hundred years, there's been a massive issue of restoring biblical New Testament experience of the Holy Spirit. Experience of signs, wonders, healings, and deliverances from demons. 
we live nearer to that period than we do to the restoration of, our la- of, of uh, the Bible in our language. That's now established. Nobody's fighting you over that. But we actually live in a period of conflict in our own minds and our churches about signs and wonders. And it is quite intense at times. And it's where we live. We battle with, you know, can we expect people to be healed? Can we pray for the sick? You know, what should we expect? If we, what happens, why, do, why are some people not healed? Well, fair enough, but we battle with that. We battle with models of healing. Is it one anointed person or is it all of us can pray for the sick? You know, or should we use elders with oil, etc., etc.? We battle with, as I said, our worldview. And like, yeah, but isn't it scientific or is it all in the mind? Or, you know, if you don't battle with these things, you probably don't think very much. We all battle with them. We're in a time of restoring something, but it's a, it's a process Many of these historic periods went on a long time before everybody, all real Christians, thought this is obviously what we should expect. That's that's the sort of time we're coming through. It's getting better, but actually God is saying, yes, my Holy Spirit is real. There are healings. There are deliverances from demons. Demons are real, and you need to get rid of them. You need people to be healed. You need to see signs and wonders as part of your church experience, particularly your gospel experience. And I think we're in a period of fighting for that. I I know myself that I take a few steps forward and a few steps back. I think, am I right or not? You know, even our theology, we're back. We say, can, you know, do we name it and claim it? Or is it the kingdom of God? Is it now or not yet? You know, what about suffering? What about the sovereignty of God? You know, is sickness from the devil? We all, you know, we're all tussling with that. But we mustn't give up because it's part of the package to see people healed. Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get better. Amen. They will cast out demons in my name. Amen? (laughs) Now, I think demons seem extremely quiet in modern Britain, and that worries me. Because I don't think they are an anachronism. I think they're real. And I think we actually somewhere have just lost it a little bit in thinking about those things. I'm not looking for scary stuff. I'm just realizing it's part of what happens when the kingdom of God turns up and clashes with the kingdom of darkness. So, as I come to the end, I want to say to you that I believe Jesus promised his disciples would do the works he did and he promised it would go on until the end when he came back. I believe that we are told that we can taste of the age to come. Now, that means we probably don't see complete healings where nobody ever gets sick or nobody ever has trouble with sin or nobody ever... Uh, dies and that sort of thing, but we can get tastes of the age to come. And to my mind, tastes are healings and deliverances. They're break-ins of God. I believe that God is extremely interventionist. Our God intervenes in our lives and changes things. I believe that there is a supernatural God. And it isn't all just natural. God does break in and do things that don't quite fit our natural worldview, that don't quite add up. Some of them are almost naturally supernatural. A lot of them are, because he's the same God has created everything. But some of them do really make us wonder. They make us think in awe, wow. And I think those wow moments are important for breaking us through and on with God. I believe that the Bible is clear that things like sickness 
though good can come from them, are not part of God's best. Jesus went around healing sick people an awful lot. As I've already said, they weren't there before the fall. They weren't there, isn't there any age to come? So I think there's an expectation in me that God heals the sick. Now, I think it's great to use doctors, and I think that's part of God's kingdom. But actually, I think we should, with greater boldness, lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. And finally, Jesus very clearly said he handed on his authority to us, that if we're his disciples, we can, in his name, do these things. And so I would encourage you, as we finish this morning, this evening, it seems so long, doesn't it, since I started. I would encourage you, as we finish this morning, to be a lot more on the front foot in this area. Now, brothers and sisters, I understand why we battle. I've highlighted just briefly. I know there are all sorts of battles. But I think we forget we are in a fresher restoration period when it comes to these things. You say, fresher? It's been 100 years. Yeah. You see how long it took for some of the other things to bed down before people had the, had the Bible in their own language. You read the history books from Tyndale through to when we finally have the King James Version. It takes quite a while before everybody's got it in their hands. Now, actually, some of these things are similar for us. We mustn't give up. We should expect signs, wonders, healings, and deliverances.